0: We
1: are continuing through our, uh, our study on the King's Sermon, and uh, we are entering into a new chapter. We are really transitioning into uh, not a new subject, but a new thought process, at least. Uh, a new direction, in a sense, uh, on what this Sermon on the Mount uh, is addressing. Now, as we make the transition from chapter 5 to chapter 6, we must keep in mind that though the chapter numbers have changed, the subject hasn't so we cannot uh, we can't take chapter six and set it over here and uh, and make it something different than from what we read in chapter five i mean it really is just a continuation of everything that we have just studied but as a preacher usually has uh you know in the baptist faith we usually have about three points to a sermon and it's all on the same subject it just may be in different thought patterns that's exactly what we're finding here uh really i guess you could look at the Sermon on the Mount is a three-point sermon. You've got chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, okay? So we're on point number 2, and it only took us six months to get there. Um, but we, uh, we have really been enjoying our, our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and today what we're going to be looking at is Beatitude worship. Beatitude worship. And there are going to be three parts uh, of this Beatitude worship that we find in these verses, uh, and the first one is on, of course, Uh, the offerings that we give. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, where we've been for the last several months, Matthew chapter 5, we've been looking at true righteousness as opposed to self-righteousness. We have seen what true righteousness is through the lenses of the Beatitudes. And Jesus came right out of the gate, and uh, he spoke to uh, the Jewish people, and I'm sure there may have been even some Pharisees and some religious leaders of the time that were there uh, and, and people who were very religious, people who looked at themselves as being successful people of God. And, uh, and he says to them, he says, first of all, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. To all those who thought they were something, to all who thought that, that God was lucky to have them, he, he comes right out and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. If we were going to put that into our words today, he said, Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt and know it
0: for theirs
1: is the kingdom of heaven and he moves on from there I mean uh, complete humility understanding that we are completely drained of any righteousness in ourselves he moves on he says blessed are those who mourn not only those who realize that they have no righteousness in themselves but those who are mourning over the sin that's in their lives. He says, blessed are those who are meek. Those who, understanding their bankruptcy, understanding and mourning over the sin in their lives, who don't think of themselves as something that they're not, but who, in their dealings with others, deal with humility and meekness in everything that we do. In our Sunday school class this morning, we reviewed what the uh, definition of meekness is. Meekness is not weakness meekness, and if you want to write this down, you can, meekness is just simply power under God's control. I used the illustration, it wasn't original with me, I used the illustration when we dealt with meekness in the Beatitudes of a, of a stallion who is running, and I mean, uh, I mean, he is running with full power, full strength, as fast as he possibly can. But at the slightest touch of his master's, tug on the reins he immediately stops or turns or does whatever it is that his master's commanded him to do that's what meekness is it's having all the power of god in us it's having all the the access to to our prayers and to his power and his empowerment in our lives it's having the ability but at the slightest touch of our master's reins. We stop when he says stop. We go when he says go. We turn when he says turn. And when he tells our mouths to be quiet, our mouths stay quiet. Beatness. And the next beatitude, of course, he says that, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They've been completely emptied of their own righteousness, and it says they will be filled. And so if you, if you go through the process of the Beatitudes, we have someone who is spiritually bankrupt. We have someone who mourns over the sin they recognize in their lives. We have someone who is meek in their dealings, in their view of themselves, and in their dealings with others. And then in the next Beatitude, we have someone who is completely drained of all self-righteousness, understanding that, that there is nothing in themselves, and they begin to hunger, to crave, and thirst, to starve after the righteousness of God. And it says they will be filled. And when God fills them with his righteousness, then they begin to produce true righteousness in their lives. And that's what the next Beatitudes are all about. You see, they've been emptied of their own in in the first half of the Beatitudes. In the next half, they begin producing, or God begins producing through them, producing things like mercy, producing things like purity, producing someone who can make peace, in their own conflicts and peace between God and others. And then the last beatitude is all about someone who's been emptied of their own self-righteousness, someone who's been filled with the righteousness of God, and then those from the outside, as they look at the, the real righteousness that is seen in God's people, they're going to be persecuted. People are going to start getting angry. People are going to start confronting them about, uh, you know, about the way that they're living. And so he says, blessed are the persecuted. And, and so in the Beatitudes, we really have the foundation for the entire Sermon on the Mount, the foundation of what true righteousness is. And very simply, what we can say is that true righteousness is not found in us. True righteousness is found in God. And if we want to be people who are truly righteous, then we must empty ourselves of our own pride, of our own feelings of righteousness, and we must submit to God. And allow Him to work His righteousness in us. Well, the rest of the, the rest of chapter five, after we after we start off with that foundation in the Beatitudes, the rest of chapter five is living a righteous life. It's how to act righteously in this world. And, and Jesus goes through a couple of teachings on the law itself, and then He goes through some interpretations of the law that were given back then. And he he begins saying, listen, you've heard it said all your life. You've heard it interpreted this way all your life. And he goes through six different illustrations. He deals with anger. He deals with divorce. He deals with adultery. He deals with all kinds of things in those six illustrations. And and he goes through all those and he says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, he's teaching them how uh, to live a righteous life. We've also seen that the goal, of course, is to be, Perfect, which does not mean to be sinless, but it means to be mature in this righteousness, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. If you are in chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, if you look at the the verse just previous to that, Matthew 5, verse 48, it says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is heaven, is perfect. Being mature in righteousness. And so really, when we begin looking at it this way, chapter 5 asks the question, Are you behaving righteously? That's what all chapter 5 is about. Are you behaving in true righteousness? Are you behaving in a righteous manner? Chapter 6 then asks the questions, What is your motive? Let's look at that again. Chapter 5 asks the question, Are you doing righteous things? Are you really acting righteously? And then chapter 6 comes in and it says, if you are, what are your motives behind those righteous acts? Why are you behaving in that righteous manner? And so uh, that is what chapter 6 primarily deals with, is the motives behind uh, why we do what we do. Now, motive is such a powerful word because it really changes everything. Motive is such a convicting subject in the Bible because God tells us not to judge the motives of others, but then he looks us square in the eyes and says, but I know yours. When you see someone else acting righteous, don't look at them and say, oh, well, they're just pretending. They're just acting. They don't really have God in mind when they do this. They're not really worshiping God when they do this or do that. They're not really trying to serve God. They're only bringing attention to themselves. He he says, don't judge that. But then he looks straight at us and he says, but understand that I do know know what your motives are. And you know what your motives are. And so we're confronted with the whole reason, the whole intent behind not what others do, but, but behind what we're doing. You know, if more Christians would be concerned with what they're doing and with what others are doing, things might go a little smoother, don't you think? The Beatitudes are still necessary for a proper interpretation of this chapter because, again, they are the foundation of this sermon and each of the concepts that we're going to find uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins this section in chapter 6, Uh, by confronting three forms of public worship and then addressing the proper motives for each of these. And the first of these is giving. Now, I know that uh, we come to church and we are sick and tired of hearing the preacher preach about giving. Well, I'm not going to preach about that you should give or any of those things. What I am going to preach about is your motive in giving today. So this is not a call or a plea for money. This is just saying that if you're going to give money, Give it in the right manner. Give it with the right heart and with the right motives. We're going to look at three things today. How to give with the right motives. How do we give our gifts to God? How do we give, how do we serve with the right motives in mind? Well, there are three things we're going to look at. Remember, I said this is a Baptist message, so three points, okay? And we're going to go through those today. Uh, the first thing we find is that we must be looking for the right audience. The right audience in verses 1 and 2. Let's look back to those verses. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 it says take heed that you do not do your alms before men to be seen of them otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. It says therefore when thou doest thine alms do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you they have their reward. Now the alms that Jesus speaks of here specifically refers to the gifts of charity for those in need. And so when when Jesus says when you give your alms, it's not necessarily talking about like when you come into church and give your tithe or when you come into church and give your offering. This specifically is is dealing with when you're giving for those who are in need. Let's say that you are uh, you know, today we think about charities, but really the church, I believe, is supposed to be a, uh, you know, a storehouse for those that are in need. And so let's say that you're going to give money uh, to the pantry to help those that are hungry. You're going you're to donate some clothes or donate some money to buy clothes to, uh, to of course, clothe those that, that are without. And, uh, and you're going to give those gifts, and, uh, and maybe you're going to write a check for whatever it is to send it in. That's the type of, of alms, or that's the type of gift, that Jesus is speaking about here. However, the, the principles that we're going to be looking at here, they really do apply for any kind of offering that we give. They apply for your tithe, they apply to, to any offering that you give, but I just wanted to understand what the alms are. The alms are gifts, uh, of course, to the needy, gifts of charity. Now, the question that we've asked here is, when you give, who is your audience? When you give, who is your audience? Who is it that you're wanting to applaud you whenever you give? This is a question that even the godliest people must ask themselves. Do I give to be seen and praised by God or do I give to be seen and praised by others? In the temple, there were boxes and I I assume that there were some things similar to this in the synagogues and, and maybe some places uh, set up around town uh, that had donation boxes. Anybody ever seen any donation boxes around, you know, around Orlando? We we see that. Well, well they had some things like that. Uh, of course, all of their currency was in coins, uh, not in, in paper dollar bills or anything, but it was all in coins. And, and these boxes were set up. There were some in the temple. I, I, I'm i sure there were probably some other places. And, and uh, in these boxes, of course, the box contained uh, the money itself, but on top of those boxes were, were brass, funnel-like horns that went down into the box. And so when you put your money in, it would, it would run down into the box, and uh, you know, of course your, your change would stay there. Now, why was it horn-shaped? Well, maybe you forgot, <laughs> you forgot you were only supposed to give so much, and you put too much in, uh, you you couldn't reach back in and grab what you what you put in, okay, and so uh you know you couldn't reach back in there. well, what also happened is, is when you gave anybody know what happens when you put change when you drop change into a metal container? makes noise, don't it <laughs> And whenever you would pour your change or or place your change into these these trumpet shaped uh you know openings for the boxes. It would clang, and, and of course, uh, what happens when you're in a crowd full of people and you dump a whole bunch of change into a metal container? All eyes turn towards you, don't they?
0: Okay, and if they know what
1: that box is for, maybe they say, "Oh, did you hear that loud? That was. It must have gave a whole lot of money. I wonder how many of them were going down to, uh, you know, the local store and and." Uh, trading in for more coins, you know, so they can make a, a louder sound as they uh, gave their donations. But but this is what was going on. If you'll read with me here in chapter 6, in, in verse 2 it says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, notice what it says here, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their Reward, and I believe what was going on at this time. There is some debate on exactly what this blowing a horn is talking about, but I think the most uh, the most logical defini- or logical explanation for what's going on was those trumpet shaped boxes, and and what we have were were people who were they were going to the offering places, they were going to the donation stations, and and they would take out all their change, they would dump it in, and I mean they would make this big sound, and everyone would turn and oh. Look how much they gave, how righteous they are. Wow, they're doing such a great service for God, and they're so charitable and so generous and all those things. And, and I'm sure they walked away with their head, you know, their chin poked up, the nose poked up, and, and they just re- felt really good about themselves. And so guess what they have to do next time? Well, I've got to go get some more. Or the next person that comes in, maybe they wait a few minutes because they don't want their cling to be a little bit quieter than the cling before them, you know. And what was happening is, is they were get, money was being given. The storehouses were being built. But we had a lot of wrong motives in what was going on. There was a desire to be cheered on, to be looked at uh, by their fellow man and be praised. And, and Jesus says they have the reward. I think that the point we find here is that even large sums of money are worthless to God if they are given with the wrong audience in mind. You know, I think about those those horn-shaped openings into those boxes. I think about the, the loud clings and the noise and... And I I could see people carrying those big bags in and just dumping it all. I mean, maybe even shake it around so it makes more noise as it goes in. And and, and the praise of everyone around. And I think about all that. And and I'm reminded of a lady who came up to the temple one time, and she she came in to give her offering. And it says that she walked up and she put in two mites. I I bet you couldn't even hear them drop when they hit the bottom. No one called attention to this lady when she came by the offering plate that day. Nobody looked at her and clapped when she gave her offering in the temple that day. Nobody knew. Nobody saw. Nobody applauded. But you know, one person was paying attention. One person was looking. She did not draw attention to herself. No one knew what was going on. So you know what Jesus did? He called his disciples over. He said, I want you to look at that lady over there. You see, everybody else was marching around and everybody else came up and they put their big offerings in and and made the big noise and got the big praise and the applause. He says, but this lady gave everything she has. It wasn't the amount. It was the heart. Now, you can argue with me all you want, but I believe God used those two mites. And I believe he was more glorified through those two mites than he was perhaps in any other offering that had been given that day. The right audience. Who... Are you trying to please? Who do you want applauding you to be your audience when you give? The second thing is the right motive. Now, it comes right from these same verses, verses 1 and 2, but we've looked at the right audience. Let's look at the right motive. We talked a lot about motive today. The point is that our motives in giving should not be to impress others, but our motive when we give should be to worship and glorify God. If we're giving gifts to feed the poor to feed those who are hungry, if we're giving gifts to clothes those who don't have clothes, if we're giving to the distribution of those who are in need, if we're giving the tithe to help support our church, we're giving an offering uh, just because we, uh, we love or, or because we, we want a missionary to have more money out on the field or whatever it is. When we give those things, our motive should not be so that others will look at us and think how righteous we are, But our motive should just purely be because we love God and because we want to worship Him and because we want Him to be glorified and be able to use those gifts to reach others and to touch the lives of other people. I mean, that should be our motive. Whatever we're giving and whatever kind of offering or gift it is, that should be our motive. This is true of anything that we do. Why do we come to church? come to church to be seen do we come to church so that others will look at us and say wow that's a righteous person they're here every sunday do we come to church so the pastor won't text or call us after church service is over i have been known to do that do we come to church so that what is our reason for coming do we come for god do we come to worship him why do we serve on committees Do we serve on committees so people will say, wow, that person's spiritual? They serve on a committee. I'm going to ask you another question. Why do we serve on committees? (laughs) Why would anybody want to serve on a committee? Why do we volunteer our time and services? To be seen of others? Or to serve God? I mean, that's a question we must ask. Why do we serve God, period? In almost every other translation of verses 1 and 2, the word alms is translated as acts of righteousness. Acts of righteousness. I want us to read verses 1 and 2 uh, with this thought in mind. Let's look at it this way. It says, Take heed that you do not your acts of righteousness before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your acts of righteousness, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. So whether we're talking about a monetary gift or whether we're talking about just service that we do for God, it all needs to be done with the proper audience and the proper motive in mind. Why are we so concerned with impressing others? Why is it so important for us to have the praise of other people? In verse 2, as you look there with me, the word hypocrite has to do with playing a role, with masking your true identity. And it's spoken of those who pretended to be righteous in front of others, but inside they were full of conceit and wickedness. I guarantee you some of us are sitting here today and are guilty of the same thing. How many of us, how many Christians show up on Sunday morning to church? It doesn't matter how often they're here. How many show up Sunday morning to church? They do their service. They teach the class. They sit in their class. They uh, they, they come in and they sing the songs, they listen to the preaching, they they use all the right vocabulary when it comes to church things, when, when they stand around, they, they have the discussions about God and the deep you know theological uh, debates and things like that to show that they're really understanding and, and, and really have a, a great concept of God and His Word and, and all those different things, and, and man, they, they really look the part. They look holy. They look righteous and that's exactly what they're intending for everyone to think but when they walk out those doors and they go back to their homes and they shut the door to their, to their houses they're in with their families they're in with by themselves they go to work and they're around the people they work with they go to town and they're with strangers they're driving down the road with people they don't know how much of that holiness and righteousness and all of those things did they show there? Yeah, I think that's what the the definition of integrity is is doing the right thing even when no one else is looking. But you know we I believe there are so many Christians and they know this about themselves. They know that they're not the person that they try to make themselves out to be. This is something I don't think they're proud of. I think they struggle with this. Why can I go to church and why can I talk about these things? Why can I, why can I, do, why can I give a great devotional or why can I teach a great lesson or, or why can I give great discussion in class? Why can I praise God at church? But then when I walk out, my mind's not on God. How can I speak with my mouth today about God and then say the things that I do outside of church? How how can I do that? They're in conflict with themselves, and so what they do is they don't tell anybody they're struggling. They don't come and, and talk to their Sunday school teacher or talk to the pastor and say, "Listen, I, I am struggling in my Christian walk. I don't know how to I don't know how to do this." And instead, what they do is they, they put the right clothes on, put their uniform on for Sunday. They march up into church and put the smiles on their faces. Give the I'm fine, everything's great response. They use the Christian words. They put the mask on. But they know themselves that inside they're hypocrites. You know, I must ask you a question this morning if that's you. Aren't you tired? Isn't it exhausting to do that? To try to be one thing here and, and know you're another thing somewhere else. Aren't you tired of, of hiding that? Are you tired of failing God? Are you tired of failing your family and failing those around you? Are you tired of riding the fence? Now, the purpose here is not for us to stop giving or to stop serving. It's not to stop coming to church or stop doing things for the Lord. If you find yourself in this position, it's not for you to... The answer is not to stop but to ask God to change your motives in the things that you do to change your heart. Last thing very quickly is the right reward. So we look in verses 3 and 4. It says, But when thou doest alms, let not... Thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth it secret himself shall reward thee openly. The way this is worded may seem a little difficult to understand, but basically Jesus is talking about giving or serving with no motive to be seen or praised by others. Jesus is teaching here that we should be determined to be so anonymous and so humble in our giving and in our service that not even our left hand applauds when our right hand gives. You see, really what we're talking about here is a trade-off. You see, when we when we do and we give for the right motives and for the right reasons, it says Your heavenly Father, who is the correct audience and should always be the right audience, your heavenly Father, when he sees that, he will respond to your secret service with open rewards. It says, he himself shall reward thee openly. We're talking about a trade-off that you can be rewarded by people and their praise and their applause and and what they think of you and say of you. You can be rewarded by people or you can be rewarded by God, but you can't have both. If you're going to opt out to be praised by others, you will not receive a reward from your Heavenly Father. But if you go in with the right audience in mind, with the right motives in mind, and you do your service unto the Lord, then your Father who sees it secret will reward you openly. So today, we have to decide what's more important, man's praise or God's glory. You know, even today, as we think about this, if our thought is, still, what am I going to get as a result of my gift and my service? If, if I decide, you know what, I don't wanna, I'll do things secretly and quietly now because I want to get praise from God or rewards from God because they look bigger and better than the things that man could give me, if that is our motive, i got news for you. you still got the wrong motive in mind. You see, it's not about what we're going to get out of this. It's not about who's going to glorify us. The thing is, when we give and when we serve, is our motive to get praise for ourselves, or is our motive to give glory to God? expecting nothing in return. That's the heart that God blesses. And that's when we get the right rewards. Truth is, there are blessings that are far greater than any amount of money we could ever get they're greater than any amount of praise that we could ever receive. And Jesus says that if we're going to be kingdom-focused and kingdom-minded, that we need to lay up treasures in heaven because all the stuff down here fades away. When you choose your audience and you choose your motives, what we find here is that you will be rewarded Accordingly.